0: Hello and welcome to the EcoBusiness Podcast. I'm Tim Ha, an EcoBusiness correspondent, and today we'll talk about a proposed research vessel that has drawn a fair amount of media attention in recent months. And it's easy to see why. Earth 300, as the project is called, is a hugely ambitious endeavour. Aaron Oliveira, the man behind it, believes that combating climate change will require the world's brightest minds to join forces, So he came up with the idea to build an ocean-going science salon that gathers geniuses to manufacture miracles. When the ship embarks on its maiden voyage in late 2025, it will bring together more than a hundred scientists working in a range of disciplines to collaborate on new climate solutions in state-of-the-art laboratories supported by the latest digital technologies. But there's more to the vessel. Aaron has referred to it as a global icon of science that will galvanize public interest in the fight against climate change, carrying its message of hope across the world's oceans and inspiring people to envision a better, greener, and fairer tomorrow. More than ever, he says, governments need to heed scientists' warnings and follow their lead. It is my pleasure to sit down with Aaron today to learn more about his dreams and ambitions for Earth 300. Welcome to the podcast, Aaron.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a great honour.
0: So, Aaron, when I first read about Earth 300, I didn't immediately quite understand what I was looking at. Could you share more about what Earth 300 means to you?
1: Uh, Absolutely. Thanks, uh, Tim. Yeah, so Earth 300 is actually a blend of quite a few elements. You know, we are blending together cutting-edge science and technology uh, with participative tourism, education, and also throwing in hospitality and entertainment. So you have a situation that allows for scientists and intellectuals to meet with excitement, but also for consumers to become contributors in the science. Um, And at the same time, the students on board are learning with global systems thinking about the way that the world really works.
0: One of the key objectives of the project seems to be to create this awe-inspiring object that arouses public interest in climate change. You've previously described it as this generation's Eiffel Tower or the Olympic torch of global science. Why does the world need this vessel?
1: Small ambition, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so look, we, we are living at a very daunting moment in human history, you know, where every day on the news there is headlines that signal uh, doom. And, you know, the climate crisis was not enough. Now we have uh, worldwide COVID on the menu. So in 2018, you know, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change stated that we had 12 years to transform civilization. So the window is closing and we are simply not moving fast enough. So I thought the idea of building something iconic and captivating that would attract the attention of all of humanity at the same time on a global scale, you know, that would inspire people to dream of a beautiful future and to feel good again and contribute was a powerful idea. And, and that's why, you know, it ended up being an iconic object.
0: I have to ask though, why build a ship instead of a land-based research center, for example?
1: Yeah, great, great question. So I get asked that a lot. So essentially, number one, if we want to affect global change, we needed to think globally, right? So a ship is truly global. It can move around the world, transporting ideas and know-how from continent to continent and visit 150 non-landlocked countries, uh, nations. If I had the option to build it on on a blimp, I would have chosen a blimp because that really truly is global. It can land on every country and even on the oceans, right? Uh, secondly, a ship offers an immersive environment. You know, when you take the brightest and smartest and the most influential and, mo- and most diverse group of people and you put them at sea where they're facing adventure and danger together, the kinds of bonds that are built are very different to those that would be built when they're meeting on land at a conference or, or a hotel. You know, the fact that you put them together inside a beautiful and inspiring environment also means, Tim, that you build a genius cluster on steroids where these people are going to manufacture miracles, right? Uh, number three, the oceans are the beating heart of the planet. Right? Uh, without water, there can be no life. You know, it's the first thing that astronauts look like, or astronomers look look for when they look for life on other planets. And the oceans are also the first line of defense when it comes to climate change. They act as a friendly buffer, absorbing uh, over fifty percent of all excess carbon. So it makes uh, sense to explore them around the world, not just in one location. And then number four, I think the idea of being mobile means that you have inbuilt adventure and excitement, right? The element of surprise is also there, which is critical for the project to succeed. We all remember, you know, the voyages of Jacques Cousteau with Calypso, you know, when he was going all around the world on grand romantic journeys, all in the name of science and greatness and discovery. That, That can't be beat and that can't be done on land in
0: a building. Right. I can't argue with that. You launched Earth 305 years ago. What gave you the idea?
1: Yeah, so uh, since 2010, Tim, I've been in the ultra-luxury hospitality industry. So I've been serving the wealthy for a very long time. And back in 2015, I was spending a lot of time in the Maldives, where I was developing a resort together with a group of other leading experts. And when I was there, I went on a dive one day, and uh, instead of seeing these beautiful corals, you know, that you see on programs, I encountered white skeletons and uh, basically the corals were dead and I learned that it was due to overheating from excess carbon in the atmosphere. You know, I learned that the oceans are, as I've just said, a carbon sink and when they heat up, they kill all of the sea life. I learned that oceans supply 70% of oxygen that we breathe, right? And so essentially I, I was thinking to myself, we're destroying the planet, you know, and the idea of building another resort made no sense to me anymore and I wanted to put my skills to greater use. So, a little while later, I was in the Oceanographic Museum in Monaco, Tim, where Jacques Cousteau was the director. And I thought of his vessel Calypso, again, going around the world and taking people on beautiful journeys, right? With the greatest minds and explorers and scientists. Um, And I thought of myself, you know, instead of having a resort where you bring these wealthy people to a resort, why not put them on a boat that offers the best that adventure has to offer, right? And marrying science and technology and art and entertainment in ways that have never before been imagined. And then a little back, a little uh, while later I was back in Singapore and I met my number two man in the project, Jean-Jacques Lavigne, you know, who um, he helped set up the leading marina in Asia here in Singapore. And he said to me, Aaron, you like to think bigger. At the time, I had the idea of doing this on a 30 meter vessel because a friend of mine owned uh, the leading um, safari vessel company in Maldives. And he said, Aaron, now the oil and gas industry is down. Why don't you go and, and you look for a bigger boats? You know, you like to think big. So I said, that, that's great. And then a little while later, Tim, you know, I met a, a, in 2016, I met a Swedish telecoms magnate who is one of the most interesting, most colorful and most exciting 65 year olds you'll ever meet. You know, he's, he's called Mr. Zaman. He's got residence in Singapore, in Dubai and Sweden, uh, and he sunk 60 million of his own money into two luxury Porsche design mega yacht uh, catamarans and offered to take me under his wing with a condition that I helped him to finish the house and raise... Uh, more capital for him, you know, um, and to complete one one of his boats. So I I went ahead and did that. I raised 12 million euros for him and he went on to complete the boat. And the the reason I'm saying this is because that gave me access to even larger thinking and larger capital pools, you know. Um, and, And so finally, I thought that if we want to solve issues quickly, we needed the help of the entire world. And the idea of galvanizing humanity by building an object that would be iconic and universally recognized as a, as a universal emblem for sustainability uh, was, was really a no-brainer to me. You know? So those were the ingredients that really went into it. Maldives, Monaco, meeting this gentleman, giving me access to more capital and kind of uh, being able to be fearless moving forward.
0: You mentioned some big names of explorers earlier. Those are quite some footsteps to follow into. Who will actually be able to come on board of this ship?
1: So there's going to be four communities of people on board, uh, Tim. You know, we're going to have a 160 strong strike force of scientists uh, coming from an interdisciplinary background. So we'll have marine and earth and atmospheric and space scientists working together. Then we're going to have 20 experts in residence. And these guys will range from uh, the leading entrepreneurs to explorers to economists. We'll have artists and activists, journalists, politicians, you know, people from different walks of life. And uh, then we'll have 20 students, which will be selected democratically, irrespective of geography, nationality or income bracket. And we will get very uh, ingenious in how we select these individuals to come on board. And they'll also not be on board the entire idea, they, they'll rotate. And then we have 40 VIP guests, you know, comprising of two sets of VIPs. And this is important, Tim because here is where we really also democratize the experience. So VIPs for us stands for very inspiring people, you know, so the, the reason you become a VIP is because you do something of accomplishment, you've been recognized and you've been lucky in inverted commerce to be able to, to move up the ranks. But what about all of those individuals who are unsung unknown who do amazing things um, they may be in the middle of a field in Guatemala and they've reinvented the way that corn is grown you know um, or they, of the they've been able to come up with a new way of delivering uh, children w- from mothers in in villages where they don't have access to the best uh, medical technology right so 20 people that come on board would be the well healed right people who can afford it so those people who are the I, I call them the benevolent and the enlightened people who are seeking clever and meaningful scientific endeavor they want to do back they want to do good for the planet they want to give back but then the other 20 people we will invite them so again irrespective of how much money they've earned we look at what they've done and so we're going to be looking at an intergeographic intergenerational intercultural and even interintelligence background so it that means to say you know, like we'll take people, maybe natives from the Inuits, you know, and, or we'll take them from the Kalahari tribe in a, in Africa and bring them on board. And that will add a different perspective because those people have different kinds of intelligences to you and me, right? I mean, I always say, if you take one of those individuals and you put them in Davos or at a conference, they won't look very smart. But if you take one of the leading billionaires of the world or leading industrialists and you put them in a jungle or in a, in a harsh environment, they may not survive 24 hours. So we also want to Look at different intelligences and things like that. Um, so, the scientists again, they will be rotating and they will be chosen depending on the skills that we need for any given mission. The experts in residence will just be there for 20 or 30 days, different people on board giving different ideas. Uh, The students will be selected, as I've just explained, and the VIP guests again. Maybe Oprah will book, let's say, ten suites for her and her friends, you know, and and come on board, and then we'll invite other people to kind of add to the excitement and to the innovation on board, right? So you'll be on board with people who you don't know, who you've never heard of, right? Because it's not often that these uh, successful, super wealthy individuals have the chance to sit with normal people, right? So that's what we'll do.
0: But then there's this awareness raising aspect to the project, right? How do you plan to give people who are not scientists, wealthy tourists or gifted students access to the educational element that the vessel has to offer?
1: So this is one of my favorite questions, actually, Tim. Uh, So again, you know, with everything we are going here with uh, with the future. Right. So we um, we want to have a cutting edge media platform. Uh, So that that means that what happens on board doesn't stay on board is broadcast to the world in real time. Um, And the idea is that the vessel will have the capacity to carry a billion virtual passengers. right? And of course, this is one of our greatest challenges, making the technology available and seamless on a ship in the middle of the ocean to everybody else. Now we're working with partners like IBM to make this happen. Uh, Our technology advisor is a gentleman called Martin Yates, who's the global CTO for Smart Cities for one of the largest technology companies in the world. He's helping us with this. So, the idea is imagine if the world can join in, and at any given moment, they can log on through a very advanced portal and they can go, you know, to the observation deck on the ship, or they can go and visit the diving quarters, or visit the laboratories and kind of watch what's taking place. So, everybody gets to participate in the excitement, you know. And so, Martin uh, joked with me, uh, kind of. Uh, Seriously, and he says, Aaron, this ship has to be able to take on board a billion passengers, you know, and that's really the idea. So that's how we're opening it up. And we're doing that with science and with education and everything will be very, very much transparent, uh, Tim.
0: That does sound exciting. We spoke previously and you said you wanted to make scientists the celebrities of the 21st century. What's wrong with celebrity culture today?
1: Well, you know, traditionally we've celebrated uh, artists, actors and musicians, right? But never really scientists or engineers or inventors. Uh, who arguably are the most important people on the planet, right? Our societies are built on the back of such people, right? Medical advancements, you know, the way we move around, it's all to do with engineers and scientists, yet we've never celebrated them in a way that we celebrate the former. And certainly, you know, you do have the Nobel Prize and all of these uh, institutions that do give some awards to the scientific community, but if you ask the average person on the street who their favorite scientist is, I think that uh, 99 people out of 100 wouldn't be able to name a single scientist, you know, and, and maybe that person who doesn't name it, a scientist, it's... It's Einstein or Newton, right? So I think that um, we need to start to respect science much more. I mean, I was really happy yesterday to see Chancellor Merkel, you know, with the two individuals who helped with the COVID vaccine. And when she was walking, she, she wanted them to walk in front of her saying, you know, science needs to lead the way. And I thought that was really beautiful. So I think it's time to create a new breed of celebrity, a scientist a scientist celebrity. And certainly you have some people like Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, or Bill Nye, the science guy, but it's not enough. It needs to be much more out there.
0: I totally agree. I have a question on how the ship's operations will be funded. The tickets sold to tourists are obviously important here. I believe you previously mentioned it'll be between 1 and 1.5 million dollars for a 10-day trip. How confident are you that people will be willing to pay that much for tickets though? My concern here is that wealthy people worried about climate change might actually be more likely to fund research and development directly rather than going on a vacation to do so. And if they don't care about the planet, wouldn't they be more likely to just splurge on a cruise to the Bahamas?
1: Right, so so again, it's really apples and oranges, right? And it's that ability to start to be able to think systemically. You know, I mean, um, when people are coming on board, you know, again, again, I talk about the importance of context. It's not about the content is irrelevant if you don't have the context, right? Like a single strand of hair in a bowl of soup is too much hair, right? So the, the, I, I'm extremely confident for a few reasons. So let me unpack this. So firstly, the experience that these individuals will be able to have on board they have never had access to such an experience before. So the experience will be mind blowing and life changing. You know, it will be like no other. And so imagine being able to be at the forefront of science, experiencing the apex of science, the apex of education, and the apex of entertainment in a format that's never been done before. That's just speaking from the perspective of entertainment and having a new experience, right? Then the reason I believe they will come on board is because The world needs this. And billionaire philanthropists, for example, they really do care, right? People like Bill Gates, they get a lot of uh, bad, uh, they get a bad rap, but they've done incredible things. Again, you know, Bill Gates has essentially eradicated the three and a half thousand year old disease, right? I mean, this is something a a gentleman who's done incredible things. So people do care. And thirdly, most of that money will actually go to fund science. So, yes, the the price we don't know yet, but it's uh, estimated to be around the $1 million per person mark. But again, it's for funding science um, and number four 80 percent of profits team will be funneled back into more science and more environmental causes right so giving people access to things that they've never had access before so this is really it represents the ultimate opportunity to care about the planet and have an incredible adventure at the same time to participate in it to contribute physically there you know never before has someone been able to travel with the scientists with the latest technology in pursuit of new creation of science so i normally say tim imagine you're sitting under the the tree with Newton when the apple falls or you you're there on the moon walking with Armstrong and Aldrin, you know, you're there in the lab with Edison holding electrodes, you're part of the science, I mean this has never existed before. So I'm extremely confident that in a, in, in a world where there's, there's a lot of uh, individuals and a lot of corporations also meaning to do good, with, with, a, with a lot of uh, funds available for this, that this for us will not be an issue at all.
0: Let's assume this project takes off, and I do hope it does. Do you think it will become a must do for the wealthy to come on board? Like something that one to mention in their bio. How important would you say is ego here?
1: Right. Yeah. So I think people, it's not about being a must. I think that they will want to come on board again, you know, the, especially when you talk about these wealthy individuals, right? They can have anything they want in the world. They can go online and buy 12 Rolls Royces in different colors in in under an hour. What they cannot do is buy a new mental model with which to see the world. And that's why even when they come on board, we want to give this them this environment where it's, it's been created to be whimsical and fantastical and magical, where they are allowed to dream like a like children dream, right? You Picasso said it really well, he says, you know every child is born an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist when you grow up, and so by creating this environment of inspiration and intrigue, you allow for them to be able to learn as if from, from, a, from a blank slate all over again right and that's something that's not uh, not able to be bought any, anywhere else. Um, in respect to the second part of your question on ego look ego it gets a, again it has a negative connotation but it's also what allows us to do great things right it's it's our sense of self-worth so again it's all about context all about balance and yeah i mean there's nothing wrong with saying look i've been on board Earth 300 and i've contributed uh, to the creation of science and, and helped you know uh, we, with regards to the preservation of humanity for, for the years to come i mean that's an incredible thing to say so if Ego can be used for good, you know. That I think that's uh, you can have your cake and eat it. Why, why not?
0: Right. So ego can be a force for good as well. Getting people to care about climate change seems to be a key priority of the project. How important would you say is doing actual research on the vessel, though? And I see two problems here. First, aren't tourists most likely to just stand in the way, given that they may not have the needed qualifications? And second. Won't there be a clash of the different scientists' needs? Won't it prove difficult, for example, to bring together different disciplines of climate change related and low carbon technology research in the same place?
1: So essentially, um, you know, it's all about, again, context and about having a program that's well curated and well planned, right? I mean, the more time you spend on planning, the less time you spend on execution goes the axiom, right? So, so again, it's, so it's not about a situation where a private guest will be able to walk into the laboratory and pick up a test tube, right? Uh, or a scientist will just be able to walk around with test tubes and and do things freely, right? It's not like that. So it's all about curating that program really well. I mean, that's really what it is. Um, In regards to how important the research is to the um, education and the awareness components, I, be, I really believe it's both. You know, I mean, again, having such a high level cadre of experts and specialists together in one place, uh, addressing the same issues is extremely powerful. Right. Especially when you're addressing them from different perspectives. Right. When we all come together, we go further, faster, the, the saying goes. So that's really, really important. Um, Uh, But of course, the awareness component is arguably more important. So imagine, you know, if you think of NASA when they announced to go to the moon, when Kennedy said in 61 that they were going to go to the moon. You know, arguably the, the value that was created before Armstrong and Aldrin stepped foot on the moon was larger than when they did, because it inspired a new generation uh, of bold new thinkers, you know, scientists, inventors, engineers, the same like what's happening now with going to Mars. And, and again, this argument of spending a lot of money or focus on going into outer space, I think that there is a place for outer space, you know, and there's a place of course for also focusing on our own planet. But I mean, a lot of the technologies that come out of that are, are used by us today, you know. We take them for granted, and that's again why I'm saying the the most important thing for our educational program, both on board and, and uh, you know um, when we when we stream it uh, globally, will be to have that global systems thinking, where you know not because I open the door and it's raining, the door causes the rain to fall. There's a series of events which conspire for you to be able to have that, right? I mean, it's a really complex uh, uh, situation that most people don't really appreciate so much. Um, so, so, look, it's all about education, all about curation and uh, ensuring that it's done in the right, uh, right setting.
0: The vessel is powered by nuclear energy, right? Isn't that quite controversial in the world of sustainability?
1: Yeah, um, so so again, you know, it's all about looking at the at the full city, at the full spectrum of things. Um, nuclear energy is actually the epitome of sustainability, Tim, because it produces no emissions. You know, it's what it's, it's totally clean. It's what powers humanity. The sun works with nuclear energy. It's a different kind of nuclear to the nuclear we've we've experienced, where the sun uses fusion, right? So the merging of atoms, whereas fission, traditional nuclear, is the splitting of atoms. But again, the first thing to understand is also that the type of nuclear power we are pursuing is very different to the traditional nuclear we've been exposed to where we've seen horrific accidents. So it's still the splitting of atoms, it's not fusion, it's fission but it's very different. It's a, it's a technology that Bill Gates is pursuing with his company called Terra Power in Seattle. Um, and it's based, uh, you know, traditional nuclear is based on pressurized steam. So that means it can explode. With a molten salt reactor, which is the, the technology we are pursuing that Bill Gates is behind, it uses liquid salt. So it cannot explode because there is no pressure. Fission takes place at 800 degrees and salts only, only boil at 2000 degrees. So there is no steam uh, ever created. So it cannot explode.
0: The technology has been around for a while but there aren't that many nuclear powered ships around yet how confident are you that the vessel is going to get approval and ports around the world given that your ship will be traveling around quite a bit
1: yeah so very interesting So, so again this technology actually was tested back in the 60s in oak ridge tennessee in the us and it was put on the shelf because the other nuclear technology traditional nuclear made more sense for the government to pursue at the time but um, in regards to the question of timing so our goal is not by the way to have a nuclear reactor on board our goal is to be able to be emission free now the first nuclear reactor based on this new advanced atomic uh, being developed by by gates and a few others actually also um, is scheduled to be ready in 2024 2025. we want our vessel to be ready in late 2025 so that means that um we, we would not be able to have it on the vessel because it will take another two to three years to adapt it for maritime. So the MSR, the molten salt reactor for maritime, would only be ready 2027, 20, 2028. 20, However, what we can do is use the MSR on land to produce green synthetic fuels with, with no emissions and run on green synthetic fuel so that does not mean we need to have the reactor on board and by the time we decide to have the reactor on board the governments of the world could have already ratified this and so we are not phased at all by this
0: what's the synthetic fuel that you mentioned will that be green hydrogen or something else
1: uh, we're not looking at hydrogen because it takes up a lot of space. It needs to be in a very low temperatures. Uh, we're looking at other things like uh, methanol uh, and ammonia. I mean, we're still investigating this, uh, but it's not uh, hydrogen.
0: The shipping industry is facing massive challenges right now in decarbonizing its operations. Do you think nuclear power has a role to play there?
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, the shipping industry accounts for 3% of global emissions uh, Uh, And nuclear power uh, not only gets rid of those carbon emissions, but also we need to talk about the other emissions, right, which go into the sea, you know, the residue from diesel and petrol, which also contaminates. But from the perspective of decarbonizing the entire maritime fleet, that's exactly what the molten salt reactor is designed to do.
0: There are different narratives surrounding the fight against climate change. One is that individuals should reduce their environmental impact. With that in mind is a cruise ship that will bring tourists on board the right way to raise awareness of the issue
1: yeah so again you know our ship won't be able to be compared to a cruise ship because cruise ships have a lot of emissions they run on diesel or petrol and we will be emission free right so that's that means we will be a zero emission ship okay and that's what we want 300 to be a vessel that breaks all traditions when it comes to emissions Uh, Even the way that the vessel will be built, we want it to be built with as little emissions as possible. Now, that's not easy, you know, because we've inherited the fossil fuel infrastructure from the last two industrial revolutions. But again, that's what Earth 300 represents. You know, it's an outlier that aims to advance the way things work. We don't want to just build another ship. We want to build the future.
0: Given your project's goal to raise awareness of climate change, I want to talk about Greta Thunberg for a bit. Because she's obviously been extremely successful in getting the world to care about the issue. What do you think she would say about Earth 300? Uh,
1: Look, uh, I'm not sure what she would say, but um, I mean, I I have a tremendous amount of respect and admiration for Greta. I mean, at the age of eight, uh, uh, Greta learned about climate change. And this was back in 2011, so not exactly when it was in global consciousness or every day in the headlines. Um, and she became depressed. And, and, and I say that anybody who actually does take the time to learn about it uh, has a risk of becoming depressed, you know, because the, the numbers are, no, are not uh, not great. It doesn't look great. So, you know, we're destroying the planet without even realizing it. So I applaud Greta. We need more Gretas, you know, and I would love to be able to involve her in the project at the right time. Uh, so, so I have a tremendous amount of respect for, for Greta.
0: Do you expect her to board the ship at some point?
1: I think that would be a great honor, absolutely. I mean, that would be the goal to get the, the world's leaders, uh, movers and shakers from all walks of life, the younger, the better, in a sense, you know, so you have that intergenerational dialogue going on. I think that's very important. Again, the power of putting an eight-year-old and an eighty year old on a, on a vessel together, you know, when you have all of this incredible technology, incredible people, incredible environments, the result is, is bound to be incredible, right? Environment determines behavior, and that's really what Earth 300 is destined to become.
0: Right. Listen, Erin. I really want to thank you for sitting down with me. Before we wrap this up, I want to ask you what the response to the project has been so far. Are scientists and investors keen to join it? Can you perhaps even share some names of people that are already involved?
1: Yeah, sure. So, so look, honestly, the response has been absolutely overwhelming, uh, incredibly humbling. We've had all kinds of people writing in and contacting us the media response has been incredible we've had over 150 articles in almost 40 countries you know um, on the science side i mean we have victor zykov a a gentleman uh, who was uh, heading up the world's most advanced scientific oceanographic research vessel uh, owned by eric and wendy schmidt from from google you know the schmidt ocean institute Uh, so he ran the program for 10 years he's joined us as a director of engineering and he's uh, one of the most brilliant scientists out there Le um, Leloup is also join, joining us as one of our advisors. He used to be um, with Jacques Cousteau on Calypso the last 10 years of his life. And he, he's been knowing the project for a long time already. So we know each other for almost five years now. Uh, then we have Federico Lauro, you know, who's one of the most brilliant uh, scientists uh, in Singapore. Um, and I would say in, in Southeast Asia, when it comes to the marine biology, I mean, he's a deep sea microbiology uh, originally from Venice. And again, he's really just a brain. Um, We had Fabien Cousteau, you know, who's the um, oldest of the youngest generation of Cousteau's reaching out, expressing his compliments and and wishing to discuss a collaboration. So it's been amazing. Um, And on the investment side, you know, we've had some big names write in, not as many as we expected, to be honest. But perhaps they are looking at how this is all unfolding and, you know, uh, and and how it pans out. Uh, But we do have some VCs and fans with with whom we are in uh, deep talks with. Um, and things are moving very quickly now. So overall, the response has been really incredible because at the end of the day, this is, even though it's not a moonshot, it's still a boat that's going to float, you know, just going to have technology and amazing people on board. It's still seen as a crazy idea just because it's this big object, right? This big flashy object with all of this uh, technology on board. So the response has been really, really uh, accepting, you know, and really encouraging, you know, because it's not every day that projects like this are launched with such scales by individuals who are not billionaires or who do not have wealthy backgrounds, such as myself.
0: It's great to hear you've managed to bring together such an amazing team. I think this is a great place to leave it. So I want to thank you again. And I do look forward to seeing the ship in Singapore at some point.
1: (laughs) Fantastic, absolutely. Thank you so much, Tim.
0: This podcast was hosted by EcoBusiness. Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com, follow us on social media, or subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.